remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And if you've been with us for the last several months, in fact, since the beginning of 2021, then you know that we have been making our way through Hebrews chapter 11. And that brings us to our glorious text this morning, the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12. There we we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Please be seated. Recently read a book and it began this way, there are two kinds of people in the world, winners and losers. Whether it be in the world of business and bottom line, the world of sports and final score, or whatever the competitive arena, people want to be winners. Everything in our culture is driven by this stark reality. No one wants to be a loser. Everyone wants to be a winner. Indeed, that may be a harsh and stark reality, and yet we cannot necessarily disagree with the conclusion. If given the choice between winner and loser, everyone would choose winner or cheering for the winner because the triumph of victory is so much greater than the agony of defeat. In fact, we would even say it's innate within us, that it is God-given. So what does it mean then to be a winner? That is the question, isn't it? There are many answers to that question. There are many books that will try to lay it out for you, how to win at work, how to win at the negotiation table, how to win at relationships and retirement, and the list goes on and on. But does that all equate to being a winner, especially a winner at life? Will that actually get what you are looking for? In the end, will you have truly one. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24, all run, but only one receives the prize. Therefore, run in such a way as to win. So how is it that we are to run in a way in order to win? Well, Hebrews chapter 12, our text before us this morning, tells us exactly how. It not only marks out the race for us, it tells us the manner in which we should run. And run we must. When you become a Christian, you do not stop running. You do not stop competing. The desire does not become less. In fact, it becomes more. But we do not run the race as the rest of the world would run their race. No, we are on a different route. We are on a different track. We have a different aim. We have our eyes fixed on a different prize. But this Easter morning, as we have already sung these wonderful Easter hymns, we have all the motivation we need. And that motivation is found in those words of the angels told to the women at the tomb, He is not here, for He is risen, just as He said. Come see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. See, we run our race in the light of the resurrection. And that is why this text is so pertinent for us this wonderful Easter morning. 
And not only do I want you to see this text this morning, but I want to invite you to return next week where, Lord willing, we will return to this text and see how it is that we are to run this race. But for today, we have three points. The race course, the race participants, and the race champion. First, the race course. If you look at verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews 12, you see that it is just one long sentence. That is actually how it is constructed in the Greek as well. Children or youth or college students, if you wrote in this way that the author of Hebrews writes, no doubt your teacher would have marked it as a, uh, a run-on sentence. Perhaps they would have circled it with red, if they can still circle with red. And they would have you rewrite it. Say it's too long, you need to break it up. And in, because it is too long, sometimes we get a little confused with what it says. Dr. Dyer, my seminary Greek professor, would have us to take these long Greek sentences and have them to be diagrammed. We'd have to diagram them out. And it was as torturous as it sounds. But the part of it that was very helpful was to visually see where the main thought was and the sentences that are built off it. And if you do that in the Greek, and you can even see it here in the English, you see that the main phrase is found right in the middle of these two verses, where it says, run the race that is set before you. Run the race that is set before you. That is the little part of this two verses that I want us to focus on this morning. And that little phrase is meant to be an encouragement to us. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is meant to be an exhortation to say to those that the author was writing to and by the Holy Spirit to say to you as well that you are on the right path, that you have begun well and you need to continue on all the way to the end. Therefore, it's only natural that the author would liken our life to a race. You're all familiar with races. You're all familiar with runs, no doubt. Perhaps you have participated in some of them yourself. This last week Friday, our school that meets here, Covenant Christian School, had a fun run. And it was just that. It was a fun run. There was nothing serious about it. And so out of the 150 kids or so, some of the children ran, some of them walked, some of them skipped, some of them jumped, some ran backwards, but none of them broke a sweat, I guarantee it, okay? And in the end, all won, especially the school who raised much-needed funds, and it was great. But the race of life is not a fun run, but many treat it that way, don't they? They say, I'll, kind of, I'll run this race however I want to. I'll run it by my own rules and my own way. And if I run two laps or I run a hundred laps, well, whatever, all win in the end, right? We all go up to the big victor's circle in the sky one day. That's the predominant worldview of the day. But look at the text with me. Look at what this scripture says. Look at what the Lord says to us this morning, that we are to run the race that is set before us. In other words, there is a set course. No one is able to make their own course. No one is 
able to veer off that course or skip a part of it. No, all must complete the course that is set before them or they are disqualified. That is not only true in races, that is true in life. God as the creator and maker of the world has set the course. We do not get to make it ourselves. We don't get to say, well, I don't really like your course, God. I'm going to make my own. Now, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. That is a true statement, isn't it? That in every athletic competition, there are rules, and you need to follow those rules if you're going to win the competition. And the same is true in life. The Lord, as the Lord of lords, and as the King of kings, sets the rules. He is the lawgiver. But those rules are not unjust. Those rules are not unfair. In fact, they are the ways of blessing and of life. But we in our sin, we in our sinfulness, chafe against them and think that they are unloving or that they are too suppressing of my true self and that I need to break forth free, free from them. I need to chart my own way that we know better. But we don't, do we? We know that God is the race organizer. He sets the course of our life. And we must run the race that is set before us. But with that being said, the course is not a one-size-fits-all. No, my race is not your race. Your race is not my race. Your race is not the race of the person sitting next to you, to the right or to the left, or in the front of you or behind you. No, we must each run our individual race. For some of you, that means that your race will be easier. Some of you, that means your race will be harder. Some of you, it may seem like you are always able to run downhill with the wind at your back. Others of you, it always seems like you're running uphill both ways with a gale force wind in your face. But nevertheless, if your course, if your race is hard or easy, we're not to look at one another and say, well, why did they get that race? And I got this one. I want his or I want hers. No, we are to run the race that is set before us. You remember the apostle Peter did this when Jesus told him the kind of death he would die. And Peter looks over at John and says, but what about him? Now, if you have children in the home, then you are very familiar with that question. So-and-so, do the dishes. But how about her? How about him? What do they need to do? I take great comfort in the fact that the disciples acted about on the level of a teenager and that Jesus still dealt with them in patience and love and kindness. I need to do that as well. But you remember what Jesus said to Peter. He said, if it is my will, did John remain until I come back again? What is that to you? You follow me. And Jesus says the same thing to us, doesn't he? We need not worry about him or we need not worry about her. No, we need to worry about ourselves. What is that to you? You follow me. Run the race that is set before you. We are to be faithful on the task. We are to be faithful in the run that is set before us. Because every race is uniquely designed for us by the master course designer. 
It helps us in this aspect of life. In the end, we'll see that it is to make us like Christ. Well, that is the race course. But then we see, second, the race participants. Running the race that is set before us does not mean that we necessarily run alone. That may seem counterintuitive to what I just said, but it's not. Look at what the author of Hebrews says, that we are to run the race surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. If you've been with us since the beginning of this series, since the first Sunday in January, then you know who this great cloud of witnesses truly is. That they are those that have gone before, those that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, that of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses. And we've been examining their life week by week, learning from them, learning the good and the not so good. But in each and every instance, their life can be summarized by that little phrase, those two words that we see again and again, by faith, by faith, by faith. Because even though they lived long ago, and even though they are long gone, though they are dead, though they are dust to dust, ashes to ashes, we can say with what it says in Hebrews eleven six: though dead, they still speak. They still speak. Because their faith and their example and their legacy lives on, and they are extremely relevant, just as if they were here today, here in the 21st century We can learn through them by the Holy Spirit, and they help us to carry on. Because even though they are not physically present, that faith example is something that we can follow, something that we can model our life after. Because though their circumstances be entirely different than ours, even though they have a race that is very much different than ours, they set a pattern of faith. They set a pattern of faithfulness. You could even say that they become pace setters for us. You understand pace setters, right? In competitions like running and and in bicycling and and rowing, especially these long-distance races, there are those that are uniquely tasked to setting and keeping the right pace so that those that are following them would not go too fast and not have any at the end or go too slow and get too far behind. They help keep the right cadence. And the journey that you're called to is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a journey that we are called to do, and it's a long endurance race. And so you need those pace setters to help you keep the right pace. And that is what I love about the Bible, and hopefully you do as well, is that God didn't just give us precepts. He didn't just give us commandments, but he actually gave us people. He gave us people that we can learn from examples that we can take. And so when those precepts and those people come together, that's where the Holy Spirit does his work. And this is true in your own life, right? You can know a lot. You can memorize a lot. You can know the Bible. But sometimes you need to see it in the lives of others to truly understand it. And that's why God has given us these people, those that have gone before us, this great cloud of witnesses. But that great cloud of witnesses is not just those that are dead. It's also those that are alive. Really, that is one of the great and mighty benefits of being a part of a church. Notice I said a church and not just the church. No, we need a particular church that you 
call yourself and be a part of and put yourself in. Why is that? Because even though we run the individual race, God, by his grace, has our paths to merge every single week, has us to learn and be encouraged and strengthened and renewed from one another before sending us out again. And that is so desperately needed. If you are a guest here this morning, I'm glad that you're here, and I genuinely mean that. But what you need is not just this morning, but you need what comes next week, and the week after that, and the week after that. Because as wonderful as these celebratory events are, they are not going to cut it. You're not going to make it in this journey called the Christian faith. And that is not just true of guests either, members. That once a month is not going to cut it for you as well. We need each other. We need the family of God. And you all know this. In fact, experientially, you have experienced this. You know how I know that? Because last Easter, none of you were here. It was just myself and Pastor Danny and Caleb and a few of the sound people and a few of our musicians, and that was it. In many ways, it was kind of a depressing Easter because we didn't have this, right? So that gathering together was taken away. Some just momentarily, some just temporarily, some of you for a much longer time, and for some of you that even goes on longer. And during that time, all of us experienced this. At least I hope you experienced this. If you're running the race, then it, you did experience this. You thought, you know what? This is hard. I'm growing weary. I can't do it by myself. I'm not around these other runners. And it's so much better to, to run with others, isn't it, than to run by yourself. This is why you pay for the 5K. Last time I checked, it doesn't cost you anything to run. You can go run a 5K right out front Atlanta Road this afternoon if you want to. But yet you pay for these races. Why? Because it's so much more enjoyable to do it with others. So too in the Christian life, we're not meant to do it alone. And so don't say this morning, well, you know what, I'm just kind of a lone ranger Christian. I just kind of like to venture out on my own, the, the rugged, rugged west, so to speak. That's the Christian life for me. No, you are setting yourself up to, to falter and eventually fail. It may not come today. It may not come tomorrow, but it will come soon because you cannot do it alone. And it's actually foolishness and pride to think that you can because no one has. We need each other, and God is so gracious given that to us. And not only has he given us each other, but he's given us the very best. And that is what we see with our third point, the race champion. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, again, run in such a way that you may win. If we're going to run the race, then we need to run with intentionality. We need to run with diligence. We need to run with direction, especially if we're going to finish, and especially if we're going to win the race as we're called to do. If you have no purpose in your run, if you meander all over, if you have no eyes for the prize, if you don't even know where the finish line is, then you'll never finish, let alone win. I asked my kindergartner in our family, 
how many laps he did in the fun run. And he shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know, I lost count. Which is totally appropriate for a fun run, but not for the race of life. One, all that participate get a prize, but not in the race of life. If God is the one who sets the course, if God is the one who determines the rules, then God is also the one who determines the winners. And the grim reality is that not all will win. In fact, there will be many losers. Listen to what Jesus says. You think I'm being too harsh. He says these words from the very lips of our Lord. Wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction and there are many who go in it, but narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life and there are few who find it. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? That this is not a carefree, laissez-faire stroll. No, all of eternity hangs in the balance. Literally, it is the difference between life and death, between heaven and hell. And the reality is that not one of you can do it. Not one of us can make it. If we are trying to run this race, if we are trying to be pleasing in the eyes of God, and we're trying to do it by ourselves, then I'm telling you right now, you're not going to make it. You're going to have a cardiac arrest. You might as well call 911 because you are done. And so this passage should not be read, well, I'm just going to try to do more. Or I'm just going to try to run harder. Because the reality is none of us would even make it off the starting blocks, let alone finish if it was up to us alone. And that is why the passage shows us that the focus is not to be upon us. It's not even to be upon the race. It's to be upon another. Notice what it says right there in verse 2, that we are to run the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. That is the key, isn't it? If you want to win the race, if you want to understand where life truly is at, then you are to look to Jesus. Those are three of the most wonderful words, the greatest words perhaps in all of Scripture. Look to Jesus. And the question is, why would we look to him? Well, because he has run the race. See, Jesus is not the armchair quarterback or a casual spectator. Jesus knows all the hills. He knows all the storms. He knows all the wind. He's endured all the struggles and temptations that we endure and struggle, and yet without sin. Because he, though being God, became man. In other words, he became a runner with us. And he ran the race that none of us could run. He did so as the Messiah, as the covenant head of all of the elect. Now, there was recently a very kind of big media story flurry. You follow such things of some British royals that have opted out and said it was too much, that the pressure was too great. I tell you that that crown is but a feather compared to the crown that our king had to wear, that the king of the earth had to weigh. He had to endure all of hell's fury. He had to endure the burden of all God's people and all their sins upon him. And he had the wrath of God against him, the bearing the crown of thorns, the receiving the 40 minus one lashes, the 
nailing of spikes into his hands and into his feet, into piercing of the sword into his side. And that was the light part. That was the easy part, if you could put it such a way as that, compared to the agony of having God the Father, the one that he had his eternal presence for all of eternity with, being taken from him. And Jesus crying there on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would he do it? I'll tell you why he would do it. He would do it for you and for me. Why is it that he would endure the cross and despise the shame? He would endure it for our sake. He would use that shame for us to be able to have the glory. He would be willing to do all of it so that he could be the author and perfecter of our faith, that he could be the beginner and finisher of our faith. And that is what he has done. That is what we celebrate this day. And do you understand how glorious of a reality that is? Because we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. We are following a different course, the course of this world. And it wasn't just that Jesus came along and helped us out. It wasn't that he was just kind of manning the water station and he gave us a cup of cold water so that we could kind of be refreshed and revived and be able to make it again. No, we were dead. We were dead men walking. We were on a different course. We were on a different race. We were on a different path altogether. Jesus didn't revive us. He resuscitated us. He did so by taking our death, the punishment for our sins. And after three days rising from the dead, do you understand that there is now life? There is life offered to you because Jesus Christ is alive. That is the life that we are believing. That is the life that we are trusting in. Is that true of you this morning? Do you know that radical new life? Do you know the resurrection and the life? Again, like I said, there is no greater good news. That is why we call it the gospel, because it is the best news. Because we know that the wages of sin is death. That we were hell-bound and hell-deserving. We were running as a fool off of a cliff, off into the abyss of eternal damnation. And Jesus saved us. Jesus plucked us up and gave us new life. That is what it means to be a Christian. And that's why we should rejoice and be the chief rejoicers. If you understand where you've come from to where you are now, it is more than night and day. We have been given every new gift, every new life in Christ. And so every breath that fills our lungs is a breath of God's grace. And we need that grace more than we need oxygen to fill our lungs at this very moment. You are Christ, and Christ is yours. And that gives new purpose to all of it, doesn't it? But even as I say that, I know that the Christian life, as I said, is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And we get weary, and we get tired. And perhaps some of you are coming this morning saying, that's exactly how I feel. I'm trying to have this resurrection joy. I'm trying to sing these praises to the top of my lips and top of my heart and top of my mind, but man, it's tough. I understand. Sometimes we stumble and sometimes we fumble forward. 
and we wonder, can I make it? But here is the encouraging word. He's not only the author, but he's the perfecter. In other words, he's not just the beginner and says, there you go, let me launch you off. He's not like the dad that runs alongside you and gives you a push on the bike and says, hope you make it. No, he's the one that's pedaling the bike for us. He who began a good work will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. That is the promise given to you. And some of you are nearing the end. Some of you have fought the good fight and are about to finish the race. Praise be to God. It'll be because of Christ. Some of you are just beginning. Some of you have many more miles to go, but this is the promise. Here is the encouragement. God doesn't just meet us where we're at. No, he carries us through to the very end. And so some of you may be saying, you know what, I can't make it. And you know what? You're right. You can't. But he has. And has already done it. And that's why we look to Jesus. Because he's not only run the race, he's completed the race. It is finished. It is finished for him, and it's finished for all that believe in him. He is the champion. That's what it says in verse 2. He sat down at the winner's stand, sat down at the right hand of God the Father. That is how we know that he has won. And that is why we celebrate at Easter because it is the victory celebration of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He rose the victor of the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. Hallelujah, Christ arose. He has won. He is the winner. And so too are all that are found in him. That is why we look to Jesus. He is the prize. He is that which we gain, both in this life and in the life to come. And so this morning, on this beautiful and glorious morning, do you know him? Do you truly know him? Not just know about him. Do you know him personally? Do you know the resurrected Lord this day? Do you fall at his feet just like the women fell at his feet and worshiped him when they saw that it was truly him? Do you proclaim him as my Lord and my God, just as Thomas did when he saw the nail piercings in his hand and his pierced side? Because that is who he is. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our God. He is alive. He has risen. Christ is risen today. Christ is the winner. He is the champion for all his people, both today and for all eternity. As I said before, all race, but only one wins the prize. We know who that one is. And so as I began, I said no one wants to be a loser. Everyone wants to be a winner. And the choice here is abundantly clear. If you were a betting man or a betting woman, which I hope you're not, but if you were, this is an easy bet to make. If you were going to wager all of eternity, who are you going to wager it on? Are you going to wager it on yourself? Are you going to wager on Christ? I tell you, one of them is a dead horse, and the vultures are already beginning to swirl. The other is the triple crown winner, the one that has defeated sin and death, and the devil, 
forever. He sits in the winner's circle. So look by faith to him and trust all of your life to him. In him and in him alone is their life. In him and in him alone is their victory. He has won. He arose and he is and always will be the victor. Amen. Well, join us again, Lord willing, next week as we come back to this passage and look at how we are to run this race so that we would truly win. Join me in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouragement. We thank you for this word that is given to us today. Lord, we have to confess as we come that we are weary and tired runners. Ones that have run in our own flesh, have run in our own strength. Ones that have looked to ourselves, have looked to the world, have looked to everything but to Christ. But Lord, would we this day set our eyes upon the grand champion? Would we set our eyes on the resurrected Lord? Would we be reminded that that is where we gain our strength? That is where we gain our life. That is where we gain our purpose for why we run and to whom we run. And so may we run in the light of you as our resurrected Lord. Would we find everything that we need in the cross and resurrection of Christ. May it be done, Lord, all to your glory and all your honor we pray.